morning, everyone. I'm wanting to honor those who have made it on time here and get started. It's always instructive to look back and see what one didn't know but wished one knew. And that has been my situation as I began this study on wives. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to have you open to that familiar passage now. So, part of our challenge here is that familiarity sometimes can breed not contempt as much as I've heard it all before. So, uh, turn in your Bibles, if you may, to Ephesians chapter 5 and keep it open because most of the time we are going to be parked there. And uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and this time we are going to begin at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. A word of prayer before we get started. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of marriage. Next to your only Son, our Savior, it is the most precious gift you have given us. And yet we hardly know how to even open the package, Lord. The entrance of your word gives light. So open your word now, Lord, and let your light enter. The one who is the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by your spirit, teach us what you designed marriage for and how we ought to give the right opinion of you in our marriages. Transform us by the renewing of our mind so that we may display Christ for his sake we ask, amen. Well, I rather feel as I come to this and look back over my notes on husbands, like the Puritan minister who began his evening sermon saying, my, since my sermon in the morning had 17 points, my sermon this evening will be pointless. And therefore, as I looked at it, I said, but there is a point in our marriages, isn't it? That's what the designer of our marriages declared. So let's recap, because sometimes the forest gets lost among the trees, so to speak. So what is, to use the words of the familiar catechism, what is the chief end of marriage? The chief end of marriage is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, you remember the definition of glorify that we use to make much of God, to give the right opinion of God. So what is the chief end of marriage? Display Christ in our marriages. Or as Tim Keller put it memorably, the marriage is nothing but a gospel reenactment. The husband and the wife both get to play the role of Christ. Now, men, you remember what your role is. You remember those three L's? I want to give it a shot. That's right, learner. And then what, Michael? That's right. And we do the learning and the leading because? Yes, go ahead. Lover. The problem with being a learner, leader, and lover is sometimes we tend to forget that as time goes on 
that it is a permanent covenant and it's like what someone said these days when a bloke opens the car door for his wife it's either because the car is new or the woman is new that's really not what we want it's a permanent commitment but you remember also what is your goal what is the goal and remember the goal of marriage is not love and respect as one popular book on marriage says but it is to sanctify our spouse sanctify your wife that is the wife's greatest need so the husband takes on the role of jesus as the head of the church who sacrificially and joyfully gives his life for the bride that is the church while the wife submits to jesus and as a mark of her submission to jesus then she submits to her husband and in picturing that she pictures jesus as the one who submits to the father we will develop that and unpack that but i want to lay that out that both the husband and the wife get to play the role of jesus let's remind ourselves in one succinct way what marriage is all about again the bible begins with the marriage said sam albury in eden adam and eve and ends with the marriage in the new jerusalem christ and his bride the church the first marriage is a movie trailer for the second human marriage is the trailer for the feature presentation the relationship which christ has with his people and here's the point earthly marriage itself is not ultimate but it's meant to be the model of what is ultimate but as fallen human beings it is our propensity to mistake the model for the reality the purpose of human marriage we reminded ourselves is not to fulfill us but rather the purpose is to show where true fulfillment is to be found and that is what we find in jesus but here i want to develop it further and what he said was if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel and for a world obsessed obsessed with romantic and sexual intimacy which is not ultimate we have in christ what is ultimate now all this talks on husband and wives will probably leave the singles wondering where am i in all this and i say the, the lord is good and if you are his child our goal is to seek his will and he has promised that he will lead us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake but i want to encourage you also that there is sometimes a period of waiting and i love what alister recounted of uh, his friend ts mooney the irishman in a jocular way here is what he said i would rather live wanting what i don't have than to live having what i didn't want because when i wanted to get married the desirable was not attainable and the attainable was not desirable so you might find yourself in that situation and you might want to wait and find the right person but now let's begin what we began last time with the marriage ceremony i'm not going to start and read the whole vow but that portion of the vow which says remember it says those who are entering marriage must do so reverently discreetly soberly and in the fear of god duly considering the purpose for which marriage was ordained i want to just focus on the word 
fear of the Lord. Last time we talked about a Christianese phrase we use, glorify God, and we said that glorify God is to make much of God. The glory of God is the external beauty of his internal excellencies. It is to make much of God. This time I want to introduce another Christianese, fear of God. It is not the fear of the slave or the perpetrator who is running from the law, but it is the fear of the child of God who knows he is secure in an adored father's love. But in theological categories, this is what it means. The fear of the Lord is an active exercise of the will to obey God, which is fueled by a desire to please God. That's why the psalmist could say, Oh, how I love your law. Incline my heart to your word. There is the desire to please God which fuels the will to obey God. So I want you to keep that in mind because as we approach this topic, we're going to have to ask ourselves, why am I doing this? What is my role? So in one sentence, here is the role of the wife. Reenact the gospel. Be a reflection of the church who is to be joyfully submitted to Christ. And in order to help us unpack that, you have in your handouts with grateful thanks to Claire, who has managed to put this together in spite of my bumblings in getting it to her. But this is the three concepts. There are three concepts which I want to lay out, which will help wives to understand their role in a marriage relationship. And those three concepts are right there. Purpose, position, and perspective. We'll unpack that. They are like three peas in a pod which help wives to bring glory to God in their marriage. But before we jump into that, we need to again lay the foundation. And the reason why we want to lay the foundation is because we need to recognize that by wisdom a house is built and the first wisdom is the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord recognizes our desperate need for God and our utter dependence on God for His grace. You remember Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is working in you both to give you the willingness and the ability to do the things that please Him. Since one of the things that please our Father is for the wife to be a reflection of His Son in joyful submission, you can be assured that God's commandments are also His enablements. And so that is why Paul, before he gives these instructions, you remember just a few verses ahead. If you have your Bibles, you will see in verse 18 of chapter 5, be filled with the Spirit or be controlled by the Spirit. And what it means is what Jesus said, that unless you abide in the wine, then we will not bear fruit. And so these commands or these principles are impossible to follow unless one is in Christ. As long as Christ is outside of us, said Calvin, all that he has done for us and the rest of the human race is of no value to us. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. So there may be some of you who are saying, okay, just give me the principles and I can do it. I jocularly said that as Americans, we will say, if it's difficult, give me a day. And if it's impossible, just give me a week. But you can't. I want to stress that because these principles are an outflow of our relationship with Christ. 
The second thing that I put there on your handout is these are by God's plan. To understand the various roles in marriage, we got to go back right to the beginning in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and we will read those passages down the road but you remember that it was God who made man in his image and then he brought Eve and that is the creation order which Paul later uses to say that the husband is the head of the house and we talked at length last week that headship does not imply superiority. Jesus redefines through Paul headship as joyful servant leadership which means that you serve by leading as Christ loved the church. So as the end of creation you have the statement by God which says and God saw that all that he had made and he saw that it was very good. So we look at these roles through the eyes of God and say if it is God who said that this is the way it should be it must be both good and wise. So now we will begin to unpack the three P's or open the pod. And it's some of these points that we'll make will be brief and some I will go into depth. So the first P, the wife's purpose. You remember Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, which we will read. Then the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now, before we get into the specifics of this truth, let's ask what is the reason why we have to even think about purpose? Well, for one, purpose determines direction, isn't it? I wanted to come to Fayetteville, so I knew which direction to take. If I wanted to go to Bentonville, I would be going in the opposite direction from where I lived. So the course that we take, where we want to be and what you want to do is determined by knowing what your purpose is. It also determines the effectiveness. It's no good and you can't be effective if you don't know what your purpose is. So the purpose, the Bible says here, is that he was made to be a helper. Now that itself perhaps might be a little difficult to understand until we realize what it actually means in the Bible. What it means is a helper which is fit for him, fitted perfectly to, custom made to meet needs. Like two pieces of a puzzle. puzzle. It's actually better translated, I will make a helper fit like opposite him. That's almost contradictory, right? Like opposite him, like two pieces of a puzzle. You remember how they would fit? They fit perfectly and form a whole, but only if they are rightly different. Try fitting two pieces of a puzzle which look exactly alike. And here's the surprising thing. It's also used oftentimes, in fact, consistently of God himself. Listen to these verses. Psalm 54, 4. Behold... God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. Psalm 94, 17. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have dwelt in the abode of silence. And that famous passage from Hebrews 13, verse 6. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Here's the... Thing. helper 
the helper helps out of the strength that the helper has the helper has qualities which are lacking in the person who is being helped the wife is not an assistant and that's what we think of when we think of helper and really the adam didn't need an assistant in the sense that if he needed to remove a tree he could have called the behemoth they would have done a better job but god designed the wife's role for a unique purpose the term is positive and not negative and no one should view the role of the wife as demeaning or making the husband inferior making the wife inferior to her husband i'm going to talk about the ways in which god has fashioned the woman to be unique in fulfilling her purpose god has made her unique in companionship you see that in your handout because we are made in god's image we are relational beings now one of the things that we might want to remember is that it is an exclusive relationship the fact that adam and eve were created and there were no children involved again talks about the priority of the relationship and the wife is the husband's unique companion she must be his best friend when we are looking to marry someone we sometimes think that it's primarily romance with a little bit of friendship thrown in it's exactly the opposite it's friendship with romance garnishing it and if you're looking to marry someone you want to marry someone who is your best friend in one sense or has the potential to become one and marriage is called a one flesh relationship not a team not partnership but one flesh and we'll unpack that a little while later so unique in companionship means it's more than being there by your husband as he cheers on his favorite football team or making his favorite meal it's a holy calling what i am hoping is that wives here will see the holy calling that you have been designed to fill not just for your joy but of course for your joy but also for god's glory what is not there in your notes is just to go a little bit deeper we won't go deep into it but i want to say in three ways in which wives can be a companion to their husbands they can be a companion to help her husband intellectually now what a great privilege that is for the husband to be actually leading but with privilege is also responsibility comes in and yes there are times when the husband will have to make the decision but if he makes the decision which is a, since there are only two votes in marriage then somebody has to make the vote that breaks the tie it would have to be the husband but just as you break glass only in terms of an emergency the husband is not to exercise that in every situation so the husband is helped by the wife who's able to look at things through the lens of god's word and give him the needed counsel because of all people in the world she knows the patterns of thinking her husband has only the lord knows exactly what is going on in the husband's heart but the wife who walks beside him will know very well what is the pattern of thinking what are the ways in which he sometimes can mess up so she brings the counsel of god's word and intellectually tells him okay is this the best way but it's also an emotional companion isn't it and one of the ways that we get to become more intimate is as we talk we also become transparent and that comes by trusting so emotional companionship and that is one reason that husbands 
And even wives should be careful about developing emotional relationships with other folks who are of the opposite sex. Much more could be said, but we have to be very careful that we are to guard your heart so that we don't become emotionally attached, uh, perhaps through the electronic means or even meeting at work or church or even in friendship with other couples. So the husband can help can be helped intellectually, emotionally, but more importantly, spiritually. And we alluded to it. What is the husband's greatest need? Not respect, but sanctification, to become Christ-like. And the wife has immense potential to be a godly influence. Keep your hand in Ephesians 5, but turn to First chap- uh, Peter chapter 3. We've looked at this section before, but I wanted to point out something. First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 is a wonderful section of scripture. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Now, this verse has been misused and abused so many times. I remember Adrian Rogers preaching on this and telling that at the end of it, one woman in his congregation said, So, Pastor Rogers, then is it a sin for a woman to wear makeup? And he thought for a minute and replied, My dear, it would be actually a sin for some women not to wear makeup. But this whole verse is not about makeup as much as how the wife can be a godly influence. She can be a tool in God's hand to help model that change. And that change is what? To become more Christ-like. And even in the case where the wife has been married to an unbelieving husband, he may be one, not a guarantee, but if it's going to happen, it's going to happen this way by the example of the wife. Wives ought not to disregard or underestimate the impact of being a godly example. Now, if you're already married to an unbelieving husband, then the father's will in marriage is that you will be a godly example and certain phrases or words are used. I think Pastor John Henderson had some wonderful definitions for these, which I have joyfully borrowed. But if you're already a Christ-believing woman preparing to marry, I want to note that you should not be marrying a non-believer. There is no role for marriage in evangelism if you are still unmarried. That is something which the Lord has forbidden. And note, intimacy can exist if the two are not spiritually of one mind. That you are on a journey to become Christ-like cannot happen if both of you are not in the Lord. With that, let me just point out and I am just going to read what Pastor John has said because... It is too good to be modified. The word chaste is used and the definition is that you refuse to use your beauty to bring glory and attention to yourself, but 
you pray and use your life and body in giving honor to your husband does the word respectful which is what is used when sarah called abram lord it is not that the wife should address that obviously by that but what it means is reverence or respect means that you hold your husband in high regard and you treat him here's the key as you would treat christ because and we'll repeat it the way the husband is treated by his wife is a reflection of the wife's relationship to christ for the sake of christ the word gentle is used it's tender and mild that means you handle the husband's sinfulness the way god has handled your sinfulness how with utmost care and grace speaking the truth in love includes that and then here is that phrase quiet spirit it doesn't mean being quiet meaning you don't ever talk and what it means is that you live with your husband in a restful and peaceful way not ruled by fears and frustrations and disappointments and lost expectations but by the spirit of christ you remember the mark of being filled with the spirit you're joyful you're thankful you're submissive and therefore these qualities don't come naturally and they come only to a woman who's filled with the spirit of god and therefore in order to do that wives do not neglect the one thing that is needful the throne of grace and the word of grace your own personal time with the lord needs to be prioritized otherwise you will not be able to give the drink of the fountain deeply everything that we do will either obscure the character of god or illuminate it more and sanctification is the process of joyfully becoming more luminous and wives have been called to help their husbands fulfill that role the husband should also recognize that the wife is and the wife should recognize they are unique in the sexual relationship genesis chapter 2 verses 24 and 25 verses that you know well i will uh, therefore a woman man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined or hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed I well remember in my second year in medical school as we were reading physiology we had a textbook called textbook of physiology great title right by samson right and as we came to the section on human rep- reproductive physiology after going through page and page of anatomy and physiology this was the last sentence but sexual relationships between men and women are more than a matter of anatomy and physiology isn't it so i'm going to just read a few statements which i'm going to say not because i've arrived but because these are statements which embody the truth first of all spiritual union is between christ and his church is pictured in the most intimate way in the sexual union it's a picture of christ it's spirit communicating with spirit now redemption in christ leads to true intimacy and what nakedness here means is not that they were in the nude they were probably but then there were nobody else there but what it means is that only in marriage do you have the safe space that we can both be as we are without fear of rejection because there is the safety of a permanent covenant which helps us to open up to each other so it is really a taste of eden but even better a taste of heaven that marriage offers this opportunity so that 
is God's gift to us. And if it's God's gift, it can be enjoyed and done to the glory of God. Remember, glory is the beauty of God or glorify means making much of God. But sexual intimacy is at the end of the intimacy chain. The world says that you can't be intimate unless you're first sexually intimate. But God reversed the order. You can't be sexually intimate except within the bonds of marriage because it's at the end of the intimacy chain. The word no in the Bible is what is used. And it's not merely sexually intimate, but it talks about that you got to know that person. And we talked about the fact that husbands need to know. That's why they are learners. Now, God encourages the pleasure of sex. The Bible is neither prudish nor is, it, nor is it licentious. You only have to read the Proverbs. Look at this Proverbs in verse, five, uh, verse 15, Proverbs 5. To the husband it says, Drink water out of your own well. Let Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated in her love. When viewed as God views sex, then sex can become a responsibility which is delightfully pleasant and not dutiful drudgery. Here is one, and I'll throw in some practical things and maybe I'll wear my MD cap here because I used to be in primary care and the most common requests for prescriptions were these two, Prozac, Viagra. Is there a connection there? Well, you are sensible people, you can make the connection. The, here is the practical stuff, the awe, the wonder, the safety and joy of just being one is stirring and stunning even without being driven by our performance in bed. Sex in marriage is a major factor in guarding against immorality. Proverbs 5.20 against the warning, why should you, my son, be ravished by a forbidden woman's love? From an earlier generation, one pastor had this to say in words which are so concrete, tender, well-regulated domestic affection is the best defense against the vagrant desires of unlawful passion. I'll leave you to chew on that. The husband and the wife have a God-given duty to satisfy their spouse. The biggest pleasure and the only lasting pleasure is giving pleasure. So sex as God designed, by as God focused, is how can I give pleasure rather than how can I get pleasure? And here's the practical side of that. This takes care of the frequency problem. And the person who has a lesser interest in that gives sex as a gift to the other. We have more to say and I will just touch upon sexual intimacy within marriage is to be regular and reciprocal. First Corinthians 7.5 But it does not remove the principle of moderation and loving consideration, nor does it allow for demanding satisfaction. Remember, how can I give pleasure is the question. You know why the Prozac-Viagra connection here is why. What happens in the marriage bed is extremely sensitive to everything else going on in our lives, physically, relationally, emotionally, psychologically, and problems in the marriage bed are often due to other issues going outside. Never go to bed angry and pray with one another might be the best marriage sexual intimacy advice that we might get. Because sexual intimacy is not a biological act but a spiritual act. And sexual intimacy is a barometer. In other words, 
It's a good indicator of intimacy between the husband and the wife, but it's not a thermostat, which means it can't control the temperature. If there is no intimacy in other areas of marriage, there can be no true intimacy here. And finally, one thing I can't be without addressing, and that is since sex or sexual intimacy in marriage is always other-centered or other-focused as God designed it, every other expression of sexual intimacy is self-centered, be it pornography, which is to be involved in uh, fantasy sexual intimacy, which is not doing the hard work of developing intimacy or adultery or masturbation or fornication. Everything else is not God's intent because God's intent in sex is like everything else that you want to love the other person as Christ loved the church for the husband. Dave will teach more on this, but I didn't want to leave the elephant in the room when I'm talking about relationships with husbands and wives, but also to say that God's word is clear and it is to God's word we go. We will move on unique in responsibilities. How are, how are hus- wives to be unique in responsibilities? Because when God gave the command to subdue the earth, he gave that to Adam and brought Eve and said, you are to help him in that. In the New Testament, we would call that ministry. And the bottom line is this. The wife is to help her husband in each of these areas of God-given responsibilities, whether it's his job, his ministry in the local church, and so on, and joyfully. Unique in parenting, we've looked at the fruitful and multiply command, which implies, and the writer to the Proverbs says very carefully and beautifully how the instructions of a mother are to be Listen to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. The process starts at birth and the mom, the mother, can have significant influence on the kids. When the husband realizes his wife's purpose, he leads by leadership through servanthood. And then he can declare with Solomon, or as King Lemuel's mom taught the proverb writer, who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts in her. What a wonderful way the relationship then goes. It's trusting each other. So charm is deceitful, says the writer, and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Remember the definition we said, fear of the Lord? an active exercise of the will to please, to obey God, fueled by a desire to please God. Is that how you see your calling? You're a companion and helper, and in that you are actually imaging the triune God. So, at this point, I think that we have given so much information, which might be overloading, so I'm sure you're saying, oh, give us a break, and that we will do, and open up now, We talked about the purpose, so we'll take a break and take any questions or comments before we move on to the other roles. Any comments or questions? Well, in which case we will move on to the second page, which is the wife's position in this is something which needs to be handled with care because there is so much of baggage when we come to this that we might have to clear away the bushes to see what God's word says. The wife's position is to be submissive to her husband. And we read that already. 
in verse 22 of Ephesians 5 wives submit to your own husbands as to the lord the problem is that this has been misunderstood and misrepresented as if the wife is inferior to the husband and we already said the wife is not inferior to the husband the wife is a fellow heir heir of the grace of life then some women are told by their husbands men have many faults wives have only two everything they say and everything they do it's not true all these caricatures and i'm not going to go and pluck those low hanging fruit but what is taught is the husband is never wrong as if he is perfect but god is the only perfect authority isn't it and sometimes submission is the wife should never speak she should never think because she can't think and so on but she is commanded to speak the truth in love in fact biblical communication is to be practiced and then we talked about the fact that the wife has enormous influence but the thinking about submission is the wife has no influence but the wife can greatly impact her husband by modeling truth we see various examples in the bible of good examples and bad examples I mean, a good example being hannah eunice and lois a bad example being rebecca in the old testament but it all starts with understanding that number 1 submission is god's plan divine plan for function and order and so to do that we need to define what submission is we talked about what it's not and here is the definition pastor john gave which is wonderful it's a wife being to her subject or submissive to her husband means joyful honoring of her husband's will and position empowered by the holy spirit that has as its aim the eternal fruitfulness of her husband for the glory of her god she wants to help show the world what the relationship between christ and his church is really like and here's a wonderful statement it means she longs to help her husband make much of christ not much of herself making much of christ same as glorify god the term is actually from the military and it means to voluntarily put in subjection or put yourself in rank under to be under the authority of take a subordinate place it's joyful voluntary but stop press everybody is asked to submit that's the whole premise as paul and even peter talk about the place of submission is not unique to wives husbands are called to be in subjection to christ their head 1 corinthians chapter 11 verse 3 children to obey their parents in the lord younger men are called to be subject to their elders slaves are called to be obedient to their masters and a wife is called to be subject to her husband not as a slave but as a fellow heir point 2 submission is present in the godhead on earth i like the way pastor john phrased it on earth as it is in heaven they didn't begin on earth they began in heaven the perfect picture of submission was who jesus i want you to understand paul says in 1 corinthians 11:3 that the head of every man that christ is the head of every man and man is the head of a woman and god is the head of christ this is what it means in essence christ is equal to the father but in function he voluntarily submits to the father and subordinates himself in the incarnation it did not diminish his dignity or his equality and in fact one could argue from philippians 2 it led to his exaltation i'm not saying that wives need to be exalted in that way but i'm saying one could make an argument so if it did not diminish the value and the dignity and the status of the second person 
how can the wife be devalued when asked to play the jesus role of submission in her marriage the wives are going to say and i'll anticipate it but jesus was submissive to a perfect father and i'm asked to submit to an imperfect sinful man that is true and that is why three times paul gives the command to his the men love your wives as christ loved the church you notice there is not even one command for the wife to love the husband it is assumed but it is also true that when jesus spoke through paul he revolutionized our definition of headship and submission headship again serving through leadership serving through leadership does not imply superiority submission serving through subordination and does not imply inferiority the fact is that this is a mystery it reflects the deep mysteries of god that it takes two people to image our lord the roles of headship and submission it takes two people and that is one reason why we say same sex unions cannot image the deep mystery of the godhead and therefore that is the primary reason we don't agree with same sex union because yes it's not biblical but it does not glorify god because to glorify god means to give the right opinion of god in our marriages so that's a different topic for a different day so we will move on submission is good because its foundation is in the nature and character of god it existed even before the curse of sin because god put boundaries on adam and the primary sin of adam was rebellion and lack of trust submission as we said is for the life of every believer the husband is called to honor christ you remember and that verse in romans undo one another in honoring one another and we talked about what does it mean for the husband to love his church here's the definition pastor john gave which is wonderful subjection or submission to christ can be expressed on the part of the husband by his joyful self sacrifice again empowered by the holy spirit and has as its aim the eternal good of his bride for the glory of god it raises the bar my need is for sanctification as much as the wife's need is for sanctification and what we are asked to do out of reverence for christ both husbands and wives and here we are talking about wives is to be subject to your earthly husbands out of reverence for christ and visibly enact on earth what already exists in heaven submission actually reveals a lot about a person we mentioned that here is thing a wife's heart attitude towards her husband is a reflection of her heart attitude towards christ the former gives visibility to the latter the point is that the hus- wife submission is not first and foremost a response to her husband but to christ i told the class last week that wayne mac gave us a homework which 104 ways in which a husband can express love to his wife he shortened the list a little bit for wives there's only 94 on them so take a stab at those when you get a chance wayne mac homework uh, for counseling i think it's called but you can search for it you should be able to find it but here are some ways pastor john had written which i found enormously helpful how does this truth get applied that the husband that the wife is submission is fleshing out the relationship that she has with christ she speaks to her husband in kind and respectful ways 
The wife who is learning to honor her husband as to the Lord longs to speak the truth in love. She refuses to nag and criticize him. She cares and shares her concern with her husband, does not threaten or demean. She prays for reconciliation with her husband, not retribution. When he sins against her, he gently, she gently confronts him for his own good and the pleasure of Christ. When she's afraid, she prays and runs to God first for strength, faith and wisdom. She's learning to view every attitude, thought and action toward her husband as an expression of her love for Christ. Reminder men, are we obeying God's command to love our wives like Christ loved the church and therefore making it easier for our wives to submit to us? We've learned and we've repeated this, but it's worth repeating that submission is a picture of, the, of Christ obeying the church. It is a joyful, willing submission. Remember what the word of God says in Hebrews, here I am, I delight to do your will. This is part of giving glory to God. Submission is limited only by biblical mandate and not by personal preference. Here's a very interesting phrase, right? Husbands, uh, here, wives be subject to your husbands in everything. What does it mean? I mean, no exceptions. But look at the previous phase which defines it as the church is subject to Christ. Christ never asks his church to sin. He never has and he never will. Of course, this may not be the case, obviously, between a wife and her fallen husband. The husband should never ask his wife to do anything which is illegal, immoral or ungodly. What are some examples? A wife should not agree to watch pornography with her husband. A wife should not agree to sign a fraudulent tax return. A wife should not agree to lie to leaders in the church about her husband's violence or infidelity so that he retains his reputation and position. Should not lie about his sin or her sin, which would normally merit church discipline. A wife should not agree to keep his abuse of the children a secret or participate in other illegal activities. Remember Acts 5.29? We would rather obey God than men. So what steps do the wives need to take to fulfill your position? You, I want you to see that the submission that the Bible enjoins a wife is a joyful submission and does not demean the wife in any way. By the Lord's grace, the husband is loving his wife as Christ loved the church, which makes it easier for his wife to submit to him. And submission is not in any way which is demeaning to her. Remember, it's not inferior. We're going to leave the do my clothes fit, which has nothing to do with buying new clothes, but the fact that submission beautifies women of faith because it is fitting in the Lord and those women who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, only they can wear clothes which are fit and those clothes are to love their husbands, to be joyful in their role and happy obedience that makes an appropriate clothing. So, are you the wife that is pleasing God and bringing glory to God in the way you submit to your husband. As time marches on, we will go ahead and finish up with the last P, the wife's perspective, which is to show respect for her husband. The wife's purpose is to be a helper fit for her husband, 
Her position is to be one of joyful submission to her husband and thus portray the church's relationship to Christ. And when we talk about perspective, we are talking about her attitude, her state of mind, what she's thinking, her heart attitude. And what does it mean to respect? Remember, men, honor your wife. Outdo one another. Romans 12.10, outdo one another in showing honor. Respect means to value, to honor, to esteem, to praise. You want to focus on the outer man, not on the outer man, but on the inner man. But you got to remember that what is in the heart will come out through the mouth. There are several ways in which respect can be seen. One is the attitude of, do you have a biblical view of your husband, that he is also a child of God under construction. You remember Ruth Graham's gravestone, it read, end of construction, thank you for your patience. I think it was Billy Graham who said that once his wife was asked, have you ever thought about divorce? And she said to have replied, never, murder, yes. So when your husband sins, deal with him gently. You have to have a godly attitude for as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And one way in which we need to do that is by godly communication. The problem is that the tongue always serves the master to whom the heart is already committed. Both the tone and the matter, the manner and the matter of my words matter in communication. Ask questions, avoid gossiping. And we can talk much more about biblical communication, but one of the reasons for divorce is certainly ungodly communication, which puts down the husband or the batting of the eyelid to somehow show him that you don't meet the grade or things like, if you really loved me like my mother, father loved his mother, then we won't have this problem and so on and so forth. Here's a good one. Choose to believe the best about him. That's based right out of 1 Corinthians 13, 7 because when you look at that verse, it says, believes all things. That's not to say you need to be naive, but attribute the right motives. Don't try to change him. And that is something which is hard for a wife who sees some husbands. I think uh, somebody said, and I don't recollect that, in the phrase, wives be subject to your own husband, the actual phrase is idion andron, which actually apparently means idiot husbands. I won't go into that, but here's the thing. When your husband is wrong, how do you deal with it? How does God want to use my husband's imperfections to help me grow? And one way we deal with it is to take the log out of our own eye. Now, we're not talking about situations of abuse or unrepentant adultery, which needs further intervention, which is beyond the scope of this. But one of the things that we want to remember is that we don't want wives, don't be your husband's personalized Holy Spirit. There are no vacancies in the Trinity, but you can be a tool for change as you walk alongside him and speak the truth in love. And that means sometimes we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Christ. And that's not easy, but sanctification was never meant to be a drive-through process. It's two things that we Americans don't like. It's hard and it takes time. But when we don't follow this, what are the potential results. There's bound to be resentment, bitterness, discouragement, and it hurts the testimony of Christ, and you can't be the salt and light. We'll bring this to a close and make the plane land. We don't want to crash it, but so purpose, position, and perspective. Purpose of the wife, 
is to be a helper fit or help me as the old king james says i love that it's just a helper who's fit like two pieces of a puzzle wonderfully different yet perfectly fitting the position is one of joyful submission which glorifies christ and pictures the relationship between christ and the church and the perspective is one of heart attitude of respecting him of communicating in a godly way it's not what i know but what i do with what i know that matters isn't it let's be doers of the word the calling of the christian man should be to sanctify his wife so that she becomes more and more like christ the longer the two are married but that's also the calling of the wife to serve her husband that he might grow more and more into christ likeness like i said last week it is to be christ to one another so that those around us who know us well who rub shoulders with us and who know inside us out can tell whether our marriages have been platforms where we have been made more and more christ like with that we will stop and open up the floor i think we do have some time for questions i know that's a lot and i encourage you to go back and think about it but my regret is that i didn't know what marriage and particularly the role of husbands and wives were and those who are here who are not yet married are doing a lot of preventive care soul care and those who are married there is never too late god is a god of second chances third chances and he has promised that he who began a good work will complete it and our goal in all this is to equip you to be christ like so that you are salt and light so questions or comments before we close up that's one part of the marriage service we are not doing you remember where it says from henceforth let him hold his peace so this is not the time to hold peace if you have any questions i'll let pastor john handle it oh he's left too bad now you can still ask your questions oh he's there sorry pastor john well i will then close but appreciate uh, cole and pastor john working with me to kind of tailor it for and make it fit for public consumption um the lord bless his word and make us more like him and make us to be men and women who want to honor him and find all our hope and trust in him at the end of the day remember marriage is not ultimate christ is uh, let's pray shall we our father and our god how wonderful it is to know that on earth you have given us a small piece of heaven called marriage we pray lord that we might use that gift wisely as you have intended it to be a signpost of heaven reflecting to the world the great love that you have for us the church so that others may know and say what kind of family is this i too want to become a part of this family to the end lord we pray that you will equip us fill us with your holy spirit so that when people see our good works they may glorify the father who is in heaven for christ's sake we pray amen